Hi there, my name's Oshin Lunny and welcome to Audio Talks, presented to you by Harman. And in this episode, we speak to two AI visionaries to get the lowdown on AI, IP and creativity. Are the new tools enchantments or enhancements, friend or foe to our most human of capabilities, the ability to create? And what does generative AI mean for the laws around intellectual property? We are about to find out. Welcome to the podcast, Arun Sundararajan, NYU professor, author and expert, and also a leading commentator on creativity, AI and the law. Welcome, Arun. Delighted to be joining Machine. Awesome. And joining Arun on our virtual stage, we've got Rick Scheuss, who is the Managing Director at Tro, a leading agency for auditory brand communication. Welcome to the podcast, Rick. Hi there. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you guys. Fabulous. So we're, we're dialing in from all over the world here. And our time zones are all over the place. We've got, you know, multiple cases of jet lag. We're ready to rock. <laughs> so before we dive into this incredibly thorny issue, uh, I thought it'd be great for the listeners just to get a bit of a flavour uh, for what you both do. And I'm going to direct that to your good self first, Arun. Thanks a lot, Oshin. Delighted to be here. Um, great to be chatting with you as well, Rick. I'm a professor at New York University. I have been fascinated by digital technology since I was a kid, and my research studies how digital technologies change things. A lot of my attention over the last three years has been on artificial intelligence and um, you know, more recently on this new class of AI called generative AI. My focus isn't so much on building new AI systems, it's more on figuring out how the world will change because of AI, um, how to govern AI, how the law needs to change to accommodate these new artificial intelligence technologies. Um, What are the ethical issues that emerge around them? What kinds of new regulation might be necessary? fascinating already. This is fantastic. I can't wait to dive in and uh, I will be coming back to you for a few definitions in just a moment. Uh, But Rick, joining us from beautiful Germany, talk to us a bit about what you do at Tro, because I know it's a lot of very interesting stuff. (laughs) Yes, I hope so. Um, Well, basically, as you said, we're an agency for auditory brand communication. So we consult brands on how they should sound in terms of music, sound and voice, which elements they need for their communication, how to use them most effectively. And we do this at the level of strategy, conception, and production. We've been doing this for almost 35 years, actually, for for clients around the world. And it has become very challenging, you know, with the transformation of media and the ever-increasing number of touch points. Brands have been facing many challenges in their communication and now also the development of technological approaches to create that content, that auditory content, is another challenge for itself, actually. So we help um, our clients to choose which kind of technology to use and actually what not to use to create their content for various touch points of communications. Oh, fabulous. That's so interesting. And I believe there is an element of AI in there, which we'll get to in a little while. But uh, I'd love to come back to yourself first, Arun. Now, you mentioned the phrase generative AI, and that's very much in the news. You know, in terms of the creative industries, what do we mean when we talk about generative AI? That's a great place to start, Oshin. You know, we've been using AI, artificial intelligence in business for maybe three decades now. And artificial intelligence more broadly uses something called machine learning. And so this is computers looking at patterns and examples in existing data 
and learning from them. So you might train a computer to decide whether a credit card transaction is fraudulent, what kind of advertisement to target at someone, whether to approve a loan. So this kind of artificial intelligence has been around for a while. But this new challenge in some sense to our intellectual autonomy that uh, we're going to get to comes from a class of artificial intelligence that is designed to generate new and original content based on these patterns and examples from existing data. And so the AI doesn't just make decisions or help a human. It generates entirely new material. It generates new art, new music, new movies, new business plans, new legal briefs, new poetry in the style of Shakespeare. Many of the listeners, I'm sure, have used technologies like ChatGPT, Bard, Dali, MidJourney. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is completely fascinating because, you know, we've had the idea of generative music for quite some time. Brian Eno was one of the pioneers in this idea that maths can make beautiful music and formulas and all the rest, and uh, particularly with new technology. But uh, what I'm getting for your, from your answer, Arun, is that the difference now is the source material, the material the AI is scraping based on prompts is you know, the sum of human creativity in some way. I mean, what, what do we think that the role of AI in music is today? Is this a evolution or is it a revolution? You know, I get the feeling that we are at an inflection point. You know, it's not as if computer-generated music only came along last year. And in fact, AI-generated music has been around for a while. Um, some of you may remember Sony's Flow Machine from 2016 that wrote a song, something to do with a car, if I remember right. It was in the style of the Beatles, and that was uh, seven years ago. But I think the sophistication with which um, the AI technology can not just assist a human in creating new music, but generate the music entirely by itself, and not just that, do it in the style of a particular human artist. We're used to the idea of computers making music. What's new is the computers being able to mimic exactly the style of a particular artist, even if the artist is not very famous, based on just a few examples of prior songs written by the artist. Wow. Well, two words, mind blown. I mean, this is such interesting stuff and it seems to be moving really quickly. But uh, coming back to yourself, Rick, now I know because we had a chat at DMXCO a, a few weeks ago over in Cologne and that was tremendous fun. And I learned a lot about what you do over at Tro. And I believe there's aspects of AI technology. You're kind of building it into reinforce the work that your human creatives and composers are doing. So talk to us a bit about how the AI technology overlays with your work and you know how you're looking at these auditory brands, identities and that kind of thing. First of all, if we look at our history, again, we've been doing this for 35 years now, and not only for the uh, advertising industry, but also for the music industry, we're quite used to huge challenges through technological disruption in the market. I mean, when we all remember the first MP3, I think it was in 1991, uh, you know, everyone said, that's the downfall 
of the music industry, right? And that even happened before when the CD was invented. The elder remember <laughs> what a CD is. And so that was the downfall for all music lovers. And then came, you know, developments. And that was actually the first algorithm I can remember we using with creating music was autotune. And they said, okay, now everyone can sing. So that was the downfall of music as an art form. And then came, you know, the 1998 share song Believe that has popularized that technique of using autotune to distort vocals. And so we have been facing, of course, a lot of so-called <laughs> downfalls of our industries. But the things happening now are quite different from that, of course. I mean, we're shifting really from using technology and AI as a tool to create to a tool that creates itself, as Arun said. And that changes our business pretty much from just, you know, creating and producing music into the direction of more consulting which tools to use for our clients and to curate music, actually. So, That's the big difference in our business. For us, this AI development really did not came as a big shock because we've been ourselves, we have a little, a very small uh, research and development department working on AI for almost 10 years now. And because in our business, we translate brands into sound. Whenever we get a briefing from a client and he said, I want to create a sound logo or I need a piece of music for, for a TV ad or whatever, they always come and say, Their prompt to us is actually, it should be positive, uplifting and engaging. Usually brands use pretty generic stuff, you know, to just give any positive feeling in connection to their communications. And so we asked ourselves, okay, but brands also want to be personalities and they want to be recognized as certain personalities who are distinguishable from competitors and stuff. So we created a classification system we called Sonic DNA that should be capable to, to measure and predict the emotional impact a certain piece of music, a sound or a voice would have to a consumer. And so we can now actually, with 31 attributes and classification parameters, create an acoustic profile for clients and let an AI search for music that matches that profile. And it's not only about, you know, is it positive, uplifting or engaging? It's how spiritual does it feel? How approachable does it feel? How urban does it feel? How innovative does it feel? How melancholic does it feel? Sprightly and energetic and stuff like that. So we can detect certain properties in musical and sound and voice assets that probably will have the effect that people can identify a certain emotion in that piece of music. So this is the tool we use. And this is basically an algorithm based on millions of data points. Just to sort of jump in here, I mean, I, I think that that's such a fantastic use of AI in the context of music. I mean, that's exactly the kind of direction that we want to be pushing AI innovation in music because, you know, a tool like this could help human creators dramatically improve, you know, the music that they create. I think on the flip side, you've got the tools now that are creating new music by themselves in the style of a human. 
that's the side that could thwart creativity. So I think the point that I'm really taking away from this really exciting tool that you're describing is that it's really about how the AI is deployed, right? I mean, because this AI could dramatically enhance human creativity if it's rolled out and if people can figure out as they're composing music, what kind of impact is it likely to have on their listeners as opposed to it substituting away from what the human wants to do or what makes the human happy. 100%. This is just a perfect way of framing this, you know, because you've kind of opened up that Pandora's box of if the source material that's feeding in to meet these prompts with the AI tools is all of human creativity, what happens to human creativity if this is just endlessly recycled by AI? Where does the new human creativity come in? How do you think we can kind of carry out this balancing act where we're kind of have these immensely powerful tools, but we don't want to stop human creativity in its tracks by having, you know, the, the AI hose being open all the time? Do we need to look at creativity differently? Is, is there any kind of legal aspects of how this will fit together, do you think? So, Ushin, uh, the law has a really important role to play here. You know, we've gotten used to looking for technological solutions to technological challenges. You know, for the last 10 years, we've had, you know, large tech platforms and an associated, like, you know, a whole bunch of problems associated with them. And, you know, we've gotten into the habit of saying, well, the platforms will create guardrails, they'll solve the problem. But with intellectual property and with, you know, sort of creating music in particular, I think really whether human creativity thrives is going to depend on whether governments take action to sort of redefining the boundaries of what human beings own and what should be done by human beings with their permission rather than by machines. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds of the law here, but you know the main problem that we have right now in intellectual property laws across, across most countries is that you don't own your artistic style. There is no protection that you have for someone else creating music in your style. Exactly. Yeah. You, you have the rights to the composition, right? Not to the sound. That's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that seemed to work well until now. And it actually enhanced creativity because, you know, people could imitate other people's styles. But once you've got the AI system that can mimic perfectly someone's artistic style, you have to ask, should we redefine the boundaries of what is owned by the human a little bit so that we don't completely quash creativity? There's some technologies like Newbert, for example, you know, they use material of artists and it's not really a generative music AI, but an adaptive music AI. They use, you know, songs of artists and with consent, of course, and then the AI creates versions of that music in many different styles. And also, you know, the, the composition can be adapted. That's probably easy to, you know, if you have artists to say, okay, this is my content, you can use that content to create different content from that, but it's still based on that. I think that's already uh, legally complicated, right? Because you don't know really where does the new composition start. But again, yeah, with completely generative music, it's very difficult to decide who, who owns the copyright to a certain recording and, and composition. Yeah, I mean, what do you think this means for copyright law? Are we going to have to redefine what copyright means? I think we should. 
I mean, even stepping back before we get to copyright to intellectual property in general, you know, patents, trademarks, and so on, it was a branch of law that was created in order to account for the fact that certain kinds of property isn't naturally owned by just one person, right? You know, I'm sitting on a chair, that chair is mine. Nobody else can sit on the chair well, unless we both are really uncomfortable um, at the same time. But it's not the same for a piece of music, an idea, a pharmaceutical formula. And so countries started a few hundred years ago, uh, recognizing that we've got to treat this kind of property differently divide the rights up between the person who creates it, the person who buys it, the person who wants to, you know, build on it in the future. And that's been an evolving target, you know, and an evolving division of rights between the creator, the listener, the future innovator for the last few decades, definitely. And so we need another redefinition. I just think that this particular redefinition is going to be a little more significant than the ones that preceded it, because the challenge is so much more significant. Indeed. Yeah, it's a huge can of worms we've opened. It is literally that Pandora's box. We've heard some good examples there earlier of how AI is kind of sitting alongside human creativity, but also how it's able to generate an incredible variety of stuff based on the inputs and the prompts and, you know, it does sound alikes par excellence. Uh, do we think that AI music robots are going to take all the music jobs forever? I mean, that's a deliberately leading statement. But, uh, you know, if there's any musicians listening, what would you tell them about whether or not to embrace AI or how to look at it? An answer would be uh, with a clear no. AI is great in, in recreating and learning from data a little bit up to now, at least, remains to be, you know, truly original in creativity like humans. And I think maybe that's also a little bit of a philosophical question. There will always be one difference between a human being and an AI. And that difference is, we have a German word for that. Pretty sure that there's not a specific English word for that. And the word is Geist. And it means a lot of things. You know that from the word Zeitgeist, which means pretty much the spirit of the time. And Geist means mind, it means spirit, it means soul. You know, it's a philosophical term. And I think that AI will not have a mind or a soul or a spirit ever. And I think people really want to resonate with things. And, you know, modern age is all about making things available, making the whole world available to us, you know. And I think in creativity and art, there will always be something, maybe I'm too romantic when it comes to that, but there will always be something that is unavailable. If I listen to a track that's generated by AI, I can identify emotion in that. But do I really resonate with it if I know it comes from an AI? Or can I resonate better with a piece of music that uh, I know has a history and someone's expressing emotion as a human being. And I, up to now at least, believe that maybe people can tell if a music is composed by an AI or by a human being, but they still want the composition and the music by human beings. I think that that's awesome, Rick. You know, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the word guys. I agree with you. 
it's going to be a while before AI has the spirit or that quality that is described by guys. But to be the pragmatist to your romantic, I, I still do fear that there is going to be a very significant challenge that AI is going to pose to the music jobs because while there will always be people who will create music, even if there is no commercial avenue that uh, presents itself to them, even if you can't make money off of it, unless we actually take action today to give creatives more ownership over what they've created in the past and what might be created in their image, in their style in the future, it's going to seriously restrict the commercial opportunities that a lot of musicians have. It may be the case that today's listeners will still want to feel that the song was written by an artist that they recognize by a human. But Tomorrow's listeners may grow up being completely satisfied with the experience of listening to AI-generated music. That may be the music experience that they end up identifying with. It's possible that 100 years ago, the only music experience that human beings related to was listening to someone perform something live. Now we get that feeling of joy by listening to pre-recorded music. If we don't take action to somehow give the creatives more space to adjust to this challenge to their creativity, if we don't push AI development through the law, through some regulation in the direction of aiding the human creative rather than replacing them, I'm a little pessimistic about the prospect for music jobs in the future. So it's not an eventuality, but it comes back to that old issue that it's not the technology itself that's going to cause the change. It's the surrounding environment where the technology could cause a positive or a negative change. And it really depends on what we humans do with our institutions. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with everything you said, Arun. On the other hand, if you take a look at how music industry has been working in the past decades. I think the only difference when it comes to the question, what kind of creative content could be successful? The only difference now is, I mean, if you ever talk to an artist and repertoire manager at a record company, they're telling you the same shit for the last 10 years. You know, there shouldn't be songs longer than two minutes because the Spotify algorithm doesn't like that. In the first 30 seconds, everything should be happening that is relevant in the piece of music because nobody listens to tracks longer than 30 seconds. And there are always different, you know, certain styles that are very successful. And the music producers around the world sitting in sessions as human beings pretty much do what generative AI does now. They just do it not as fast and not as efficient. So I think that's a development that has taken place even long before the possibility of generative AI. And so I agree, we can decide as consumers and as creatives how to use these tools. On the other hand, in a free market, of course, the market, the consumers decide what touches them or what they can resonate with. And for most people, I guess, the generative music, whether it's human-generated or generative or, or AI-generated, it's probably enough. But there's still a huge target audience for art 
musically speaking, that really resonates, I guess. Yeah, I, I love that. The, the exact phrase that you just used there, there will always be a market for art, you know, because if something is AI generated in its entirety, you know, maybe it'll be marketed differently, but will it ever resonate with us in the same way? Because, you know, our, our relationship with musical artists is very much about the backstory. I know there are, you know, avatar artists who have fascinating backstories, but it's it's slightly niche. You know, will there ever be a robot Taylor Swift, for instance? You can't imagine the Swifties going that crazy for a robot Taylor. I sort of had assumed that Taylor Swift was a robot. Well, at least all the music producers <laughs> producing music for her are robots. Well, some human robots, <laughs> I, I I think. I mean, again, uh, I, I highly recommend sitting in LA in a music session with an A&R and he's prompting, he's prompting to humans and he will prompt to AI in the future. And that's the only difference in that part of the business. And I agree, Arun, completely. Many, many, many of those music producers sitting in those sessions will lose their job, certainly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a really good point because it's kind of playing in the style of X, Y, Z, you know, quickly, convincingly, with precision, etc. And the A&R guys or, or lady is giving the prompts exactly like you say. But one thing's for sure, the tech companies will ask for forgiveness more than permission, I would imagine, because that's kind of how it's gone historically. I really agree with Arun's point that we do need to be mindful of legislation, of government support to protect this most human of art forms, creativity itself, and, you know, uh, folks getting paid to make it. Is there anything that you would, either of you would recommend in terms of what creatives should maybe have on their radar in terms of protecting what they write, in terms of the tools that they use? Because it really does seem like this can of worms is being opened and it's sort of like a brave new world that they will need to navigate. I think a lot of the battleground at this point is around whether you can use someone else's copyrighted material to train an AI. There are many cases being legislated now, not just on the music front, but also on the writing and the art front. And I think that that's something that any music creative should pay attention to because it's probably not going to go too far in their favor eventually, but it's drawing attention of legislators to the bigger issue, which is, um, you know, I need to own my creative process eventually. And I think a lot of what happens on the cases about can we use someone's copyrighted material to train an AI will set the stage for what will come next, which is how much ownership do I give someone over their creative process? Can someone stake a claim on music that is generated by an AI that was trained in their image? Eventually, yes, you know, larger players, larger stakeholders in the economy do play a role in shaping legislation, but people do as well. I think musicians, especially well-known musicians, are uniquely positioned to rally public opinion in a particular direction. Paying attention to these developments in the law and, you know, making sure that public opinion goes in the direction of saying, yes, an individual should have some say over whether an AI is trained with data that they own could be an excellent first step. 
Yeah, wow. It's all to play for at this stage. And listeners, I would recommend that you follow both of our VIP speakers here on LinkedIn. And we'll be including some links in the show notes, of course, because both of them share some great examples and commentary on what's happening in the space. So let's get the crystal balls out. I know this is very much a forward-looking conversation, but you know, where do you think we are going to go next with AI and music? Do you want to jump in there first, Rick? You will hear me breathing deeply because I have no idea. I guess that the whole development definitely sets the bar for human creativity higher. For what we work in making music for brands, I think we will probably not have 20 music producers in the future, but probably five who know how to prompt. And our license business will be shrinking probably a lot. And that's okay. Our shift will be from from creating content to curating content. And for the music industry, the development, I think, could be that music industry might move more in the direction, even more in the direction of community experience and influencers than the actual music they listen to. Lil Nas X is an example for that. It's, you know, it's not only about the music he makes, it's about the discourse the music creates and the impact it has on a community. So I think that to that regard, music could become, again, more interesting in a certain aspect. That's at least what I hope. I agree with Rick. I think there's definitely a lot of opportunity created for musicians by AI, not the kind of AI that replicates them, but the kind of AI that enables them to become better creatives. And this has been the story of technological development for the last 30 years, right? It's democratized the process of being able to create high quality music. And so on one front, certainly AI will push things in that direction. But we've also seen a shift in the revenue mix towards community experiences, live performances. I don't think we're at the point yet where 80,000 people will gather in a stadium to listen to a large AI system play its AI-generated music. You, You never know. Maybe they will, but, you know, we've got at least 10 or 20 years until we reach that point. But what I'm getting to is that certainly live performances, we may come full circle, right? I mean, 200 years ago, all of the revenue that musicians generated was from live performance or or a significant fraction of it. It's possible that a bigger and bigger fraction of what allows musicians to earn a living is going to be from the performative rather than the recording dimension. Arun, just coming back a little bit to the question of copyright ownership. I mean, you mentioned about uh, IP, you mentioned about large language models. You know, what's your take on hybrid works between the AI and the human? Who in this case would own what was made using AI? That's a great question, Ushin, because that's another grey area today. At this point, if an AI system independently generates new art, new music, new text, a new picture. Um, That's not owned by anybody. It's in the public domain. It's not like the creator of the AI can stake an ownership claim. If the human being and the AI collaborate in some way on creating new art, I think in some jurisdictions, the human has to demonstrate that they provided enough input before they can stake a claim. I think where we need to move is for 
a musician to be able to create their own AI. Meaning, you know, if I've got a library of songs, I can then use some commercial system to train an AI to be able to generate my music, music like me, then I should be able to stake ownership over all the music that that AI system generates in the future. I think that's the right direction for us to take copyright and IP law, allowing us to create our digital twins and then stake ownership claims over what the digital twins create. But I don't think that there's any country that has gotten that far as yet. And um, I'm hoping that the next five years do bring legislative change that pushes us in that direction, because it'll certainly be a move that will allow creativity, especially on the musical front, to thrive. Uh, indeed. I had a great chat with somebody from a company called Deepal a few weeks ago, and they were talking about this, you know, the perennial uh, concept that if your product is free, if the thing you're using is free, then you are actually the product. And, you know, this counts for a lot of the LLMs as well. If you're asking certain, you know, like for translation or any particular answers, all of the stuff that you put into the model is going to help it learn. And that could be an issue if, say, you're competitors or, you know, somebody you don't really want to sound like you goes and uses the same tool. So I think the idea of securely siloed AI instances for particular artists is very, very compelling because the alternative is, you know, a bit of a free-for-all. And now we come to the point of the podcast where I ask you both a very important question that we ask all of our VIP guests on the Audio Talks podcast, and that is to choose a track for our title playlist. And I'm going to refer to your good self first, Arun. Well, this was such a tough question, Ushin, because there are so many great tracks that I could recommend, but I think I finally converged on The Chain by Fleetwood Mac. This is a song that I think it reflects so much human creativity in an era of AI. And it's also a song that I still feel is so much better when you listen to it on vinyl relative to digital. And so I feel like it's a great song for people to be introduced to in some way and uh, definitely a great addition to your track list. Phenomenal. That's uh, absolutely a championship forum there, Arun. Thank you very much. And Rick, coming over to your good self, what song would you like to add to our title playlist? For me, it's surprisingly easy. The song is called Our Follows Our by the Canadian artist Ani DiFranco. And I, I basically hear that, listen to that song almost every morning when I'm under the shower when she sings. Um, and then things fall and they break and gravity sings. Would try to keep an eye on the big picture. Picture keeps getting bigger. And yeah, I love that song a lot. So I recommend it to everyone. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much. That's great. I look forward to diving into that. The lyrics are already giving me uh, goosebumps on the back of my neck. And I'm going to take a very literal interpretation of the theme of the episode. And I'm going to add the flaming embers robot in a robot world. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Arun Sundararajan. Thank you, Ushin. This was a wonderful conversation. Really looking forward to continuing it with our listeners in you know, whatever way they see fit. Um, I'm easy to find online if you want to chat more. And Rick Choice. Thank you so much. It was so much fun with you guys. 
Outstanding. Listeners, don't forget to subscribe, comment and share Audio Talks with your friends and family. If you're enjoying the Audio Talks series of podcasts, why not pop over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your favourite podcasts and leave a nice five-star review. It really does mean a lot and it helps new listeners get to know about the awesome guests we talk to in every episode like Arun and Rick. In the meantime, for more exclusive content, some behind-the-scenes goodies, and maybe even some competitions, feel free to connect with us over on the Instagram. You can find us at Audio Talks Podcast. We'll be back soon for some more artificially intelligent audio talks. See you next time.